If you are able to, I'm going to ask you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. It'll be from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. I ask you to stand because this is Holy Scripture. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12. Here now is the word of the Lord. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Thank you. Please be seated. We are in some of the final weeks, the final several messages from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. We'll complete the series by the end of June. In today's passage, Jesus talks about persevering and believing in reality, a reality that God keeps his promises, both in this life and in the next. And Jesus is speaking about the way in which an ongoing, persistent, faithful prayer draws us close to him and brings us blessings not only in this life, but in eternity. And yes, today's reading also includes the very well-known passage from verse 12. Many of you know under a different title, you know of it as the golden rule. So we're going to take a flyover of this first, an overview, if you will. Verse 7 and 8, Jesus is telling us to persist, persist in pursuing God. He means we should understand that very few things come without focus. Yes, it is true. Sometimes God's good gifts literally feel like they drop out of the sky into our lives. I, I don't deny that. But very often, it's a case of him providing opportunity and, let's say, access. But it requires us to extend the effort. Not because the effort is what saves us, but because it's God's mechanism for shaping us more and more into the likeness of his son. Theologians have a, a, a term for that word, or term for that process, I guess. The word is sanctification. It's the process through which those who are true believers are matured, molded into strong Christian men and women. But one of the problems that we face, when I say we, I'm referring to me too, is that sometimes we tend to give up after a few half-hearted prayers, and then we begin to think that perhaps God's too busy to concern himself with our requests. But a closer look at this issue should remind us that seeking God takes faith. It takes focus. Frankly, it takes follow-through. Jesus assures us that we receive his good gifts, but they're always going to be in his timing. So the point of verse 7 and 8 is don't give up. Continue to ask God, but ask not just for the things you want. Ask for more knowledge, for more patience, more wisdom, more love, more understanding. And really what he's saying is in the simplest terms, he's saying ask, seek, and knock. Now in verse 9 and 10, he uses children asking their father for bread and for fish, uh, good and necessary items to live. And yet if the children had asked for a, a serpent, implying a poisonous snake, a wise father would not grant that request. 
I'm guessing the answer to that would be no, unless, of course, they came from a church that uses snakes in their worship, but I'm guessing that was not the case. What Jesus is telling us is sometimes we don't realize that what we're praying for is serpents. And therefore, God doesn't give us what we ask for, even though we may persist in our prayers for it. Nor will God give us stones instead of the bread that we need. As we learn to know him better as our loving father, we learn to ask for the things that are good for us. And then in his timing, he grants it to his glory and for his purposes. And then we come to verse 11. This is one that ruffles some people's feathers. And I'm going to read from the classic translation here. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask him? So what's this all about? Well, verse 11 reminds us that without the saving grace of God, we're all lost sinners, and yet we still know how to give good things to our children when they need them. We need to realize God's all the more wise and generous and loving, and he hears your prayers and requests. It's basically a way of saying, are we going to trust him or aren't we? And the point that Jesus is making is that we don't serve a selfish God. We don't serve a begrudging or a stingy God. For that matter, it's not a matter of begging and groveling in our requests. He's a loving father who understands. He cares and he comforts. And the point is that if fallen humans, through what is called his common grace, if fallen humans can be kind, imagine how much more kind that God, the creator of kindness, can be. So that gives you some understanding on verse 11, and we'll dig in a little more on that in a second. And then finally, the passage, verse 12, called the Golden Rule. I'm going to tell you a little story, if I may. When I was a little guy, my father used to always kind of test me to see whether or not I got this right. I would have been five or six years old, and he noticed that I had a tendency to goof it up. So he would say, okay, Jim, what's the Golden Rule? And I would say, oh, okay, yeah, do unto others the way they do unto you. And dad would say, no, 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 I, I think you're missing the point. And then I became a teenager. And I would be a high school student. And he would say, do you remember the golden rule? And I would say, oh, yeah, yeah. Do unto others before they do unto you. <laughs> and dad would say, no, 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 you're missing the point still. And then I became an adult, and I worked as a teacher for several years. And I got to my early 30s. And he never asked me this question. But if he had... What's the golden rule? I probably would have said, oh, I know the golden rule. He who has the gold makes all the rules. <laughs> and dad would have said, no, 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 you're still missing the point. But look at how Jesus words it there in verse 12. It's stated positively. It makes it very powerful. I think it's that way because... It's not as hard to refrain from doing something negative to someone else. It's much more difficult to take the initiative of doing something good for them, even when they may not have done so for you. As Jesus phrases it, this is the, arguably the foundation of goodness and mercy. It's the kind of love God shows to us every day. It's this agape love. It's a Greek term. It refers to the highest, purest, most self-sacrificing kind of love. It's the love Jesus had for us when he willingly went to the cross to pay the debt you and I could never pay. So that gives you kind of the overview here. 
So now let's look a little deeper. The idea of persistence in prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. For those of you that are the grammar Nazis in the church today, notice those are all present tense. Ask, seek, and knock. It suggests a continuous asking, seeking, and knocking. Not a one-time request. And these are the times when we can expect an answer to our prayers, not because of the technique used, but because of the nature of the God to whom we pray. A few verses earlier, the comparison was made that since even fallen human parents will desire to give what is needed and right for their children, how much more so can we count on God to give only good gifts? Now, this is not a guarantee, of course, that any prayer is granted, because sometimes, as I even mentioned to the children, sometimes we ask for things that aren't good for us. You know, sometimes God does answer our prayers and we don't realize it because his answer is no. And that's actually the best thing for us at that time. His answer is essentially saying, I'm sorry, that is not a part of my plan for your life. And that's a tough one. But I'm also aware of things, inventories in my life, where I think that he almost just wanted to see whether we would accept the possibility that the answer was no and be at peace with that possibility. And then at that point, it seemed like he moved mountains and opened the floodgates of blessing and gave us what we so dearly desired. That's how we adopted our daughter. We were ready to just give up and accept it. And when we hit that point in August of 1998, that's literally within a week of when our daughter was born. And we heard about her five and a half weeks later. You see, God answers our prayers. It's just that it's not always the answer or the timing that we want. And then verse 12. He talks about the law and the prophets. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, some of the other world religions do have something that has similarities to this. But theirs is stated in the negative. Theirs says, do not treat others the way you don't want to be treated. But Jesus' positive wording, do unto others, is active effort on our part. It's more than just avoiding certain things. Now, last week we spoke of how Jesus' teaching was don't be so judgmental towards fellow believers who are having a tough time. But both last week and this week's verse, I think, strongly suggest that the disciples really needed wisdom. And so in this week's passage, Jesus is turning to the subject of prayer again. But it's different from in the last chapter, the section in chapter 6 that we know is the Lord's Prayer. That deals with the descriptors of proper prayer. This is focused on the power of prayer to accomplish things. And, back from a grammatical point of view, there are three imperatives that he gives in here. Ask, seek, and knock. And they're all in the present tense, as I said. This idea of a persistent prayer is also emphasized in Luke chapter 18. The importance of faithfully asking in an ongoing fashion, I might add, is also in John 14 and in James chapter 4. And in all of those cases, the basis of true biblical prayer is that we are asking as believers in Christ, and we're more focused on his purposes than just our own desires. Remember the night before Jesus was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39. He prays, Father, Father, 
if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, or nonetheless, depending on the translation, not my will, but thine. Jesus focuses on God's plan more than what may have been his own preferences. In the Old Testament, this was true, Deuteronomy 4.29, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Proverbs 8.17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Jeremiah 29.12-13, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, and ye shall search with me for all your heart. And in all of those, I think the stress is on the simplicity of prayer. There isn't any suggestion that prayers need to be high language, long, long-winded, repetitive, artistic prayers. Just basic requests. Just talking to God. Talking to our loving Heavenly Father. But still, Matthew 7, 7, there's a key emphasis, not just on the need to prayer, but it speaks about God's response. Look at the response verbs. There we are. Look at the response verbs. Ask, and what? It shall be given. Seek, and what? You shall find. Knock, and what? It shall be opened. These are called divine passives, by the way. And they center on reality. It's God himself who is answering the prayers. And then he expands on it a bit in verse 8. This isn't going, so can you guys advance that for me manually? Verse 8. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And I might add, this is one of the things in which modern translations conflate the term into one word, a compound word, everyone. Classic translations say every one. I think both statements are true, but this is a little more worded to the individual. Each person who asks receives, who seeks finds. And then in verse 9, it gets to the example here of the, the bread and the stone. Anybody can think of where that might come from, where that reference might come from? Matthew 4, 3. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Satan tempts him and he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus' response is, man does not live by bread alone. But then verse 10, he asks for a fish. Will he give him a serpent? It's a little more complex, but obviously no loving parent would give a child what they thought was a fish and when they bite down on it, discover it's a poisonous snake. And then in verse 11, I want to dig a little more into this thing about being evil. In many places, Scripture tells us that since Genesis chapter 3, our hearts are still evil. And yet, parents still have what's called God's common grace, to love their children and to want to give them good things. To be honest with you, it is this common grace that allows people who are not yet believers to at least have the potential to be decent parents and decent employees and good neighbors and good citizens, and the future possibility of coming to a saving faith. That's God's common grace. He goes a little more in-depth here when he says, even though you are evil, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven... Is that a familiar-sounding wording? 
Give good things to them that ask him. It's right out of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. It looks back to Matthew 6, 9, and it connects with this ask, seek, and knock in Matthew 7, 7. It's another example of how, how complete not only the Sermon on the Mount is, but how consistent it is with itself and with the whole of Scripture. Now, in starting to sum this up, in a lot of ways, that's what the golden rule is. And there are many Bible scholars that believe that the root, the heart and soul of the golden rule, as it's called, comes from Leviticus 19.18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then a very strong statement after that, I am the Lord. But how does this apply to our lives today? Let's take that back one. There we are. The lessons from last week and this week, I think they have a pretty strong component of how important it is for believers to maintain their relationships with other people, inside and outside of the body of Christ. Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And almost every New Testament reference to this is plural. These are to be worked out within a community of fellow believers. The Christian faith is not an isolationist approach. To do so violates Jesus' statement about putting your light under a bushel. But there's another thing I think we need to caution ourselves against. The ask, seek, and knock passage has been misused by elements of, elements of, not the whole, but elements of the charismatic and Pentecostal movement. It suggests God will give us everything we want. It becomes a spiritualized form of materialism. But when taken to the extreme, quite honestly, I think it borders on heresy. It implies we control God. It turns God into a heavenly Amazon.com. It interprets his silence that we need to do more in order to earn his favor. Frankly, that strongly suggests a a works-based sanctification, if not a works-based salvation. It is true that both of those are evidenced by works, but they are not earned by works. You see, God is sovereign, not us. Jesus is saying, God the Father will respond with good things, not just anything that we ask for. And they're summed together by that principle. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If everybody did that, and everybody lived that way, it would just revitalize human relationships and people everywhere. It not only summarizes Old Testament law, it's a focal point of Jesus' teachings, it sets a standard for human relationships, and it reminds us that the gifts that we receive from God, verse 11, are only good gifts, and so we should in turn treat each other that way. So as I often say, let's wrap this up. In your prayers, ask. Be persistent. But listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit along the way. Seek. This implies effort. Not to earn God's favor, but as part of his calling to us. And knock, which implies action in obedience to God's calling. And when we do these things, ask, seek, and knock, in God's good and loving timing, we will receive, find, and it will be opened. The God that created all things is the same God who loves you and I so much 
that he sent his only begotten son. He sent him to pay the debt we could never repay. It is the same God who loves us so much that he provides for our ongoing needs by opening opportunities when we seek him, draw close to him, and trust him, both for our daily bread and for our place in eternity. The question for all of us this morning, including me, the question for all of us is that, have you asked him for your needs? Are you seeking his plan in your life? And along that path, do you treat others the way you would like to be treated? I suggest to us, these are the things Jesus is trying to tell us this morning. In this famous passage from the Sermon on the Mount, the question for you and for me is, are we listening? Are we listening to what he's trying to tell us? And with that in mind, let's pray.